Hello, welcome to another uh, Pharmacy Practice podcast from lockdown, I guess, still in lockdown. Um, we've got a, a Scottish pharmacist, uh, sorry, I should say a pharmacist working in Scotland, going by the accent, I don't, I'm not sure, I'm not sure she's Scottish originally, but perhaps she could, she could fill us in on that. Um, we've got Emily Kennedy, so Emily's a practice-based pharmacist uh, in uh, prescribing support um, in the southwest of Scotland. Emily, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, yeah, and you're right, Jonathan. I am um, a, probably an honorary Scot. I've been in Scotland for a long time. Um, but I'm uh, uh, originally from Lancashire, but uh, as you can tell, I've been in Scotland for quite a long time, so I've got a wee hint of the, the Scottish accent. And I've been in Dumfries for the last 20 odd years. I'm working in um, primary care for about the last 16 years with a background of um, academia and community pharmacy and also a bit of smattering of industry and hospital in the dim and distant past as well. Um, but so for the last 16 years been working in primary care um, and started off as, as a working with as a prescribing support pharmacist uh, to, did independent prescribing using my independent independent prescribing and now presently um, as one of the locality lead pharmacists here in Dumfries and Galloway managing a team of well, nearly 17 pharmacists pharmacy technicians and pharmacy support workers. Wow so you're you're in the thick of it I, I know that part of the world quite well my my auntie and uncle live live in uh, Gatehouse of Fleet so I know it's oh yeah it's a, it's a beautiful part of the world, and um, yeah, 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 you're you're quite rural like us up in in Tariff up here. So, so you've been in primary care for sixteen years. I suppose first question is, I mean, everyone always says pharmacy's changing. <laughs> it's the most cliche <laughs> thing ever. But how, how, what changes briefly have you sort of uh, observed and I suppose been part of over that period of time? Yeah. I mean, when when we when I first started out in primary care, we were very much, um, you know, the visiting pharmacist coming to um, advise on the prescribing, and very much an outsider. Um, I worked hard right in the early days to really become an integrated part of my practice teams, and and really kind of look at how I could work more closely with the practices to really improve patient outcomes by really improving prescribing. Um, and although obviously one of the main elements of my job has always been to look at prescribing cost, I think that my main mantra has been, you know, if, if you're prescribing the right drug for the right condition at the right time and the patient knows how to do it, uh, use the, the drug correctly, then you will save money and you'll improve patient outcomes and we'll get it all right. But that's obviously a, a, a you know, the aim. But actually through that um, and through the areas uh, of my prescribing interest, um, I'm, I'm an independent prescriber, as I said, and I've re always been interested in respiratory. And so I started off with res doing respiratory clinics as well as medication review clinics. Uh, and then that expanded to interest in pain. And, um, and, and really that kind of, I suppose, paved the way. And we were quite way ahead, I would say, in in our practices with pharmacists offering clinics before the new contract and that's been when the the main sea change i would say happened in the last few years but certainly over the last 
16 years practices have definitely accepted us as more of a an, an equal partner in um, their teams looking after the patients and, and can see the value of examining the quality of the prescribing um, we probably still irritate people a little I'm sure with our uh, reviews of prescribing especially if it's just purely cost-led but uh, you know I, I always like to think that, that we're bringing some improvement in quality and um, quality and, and patient care when we're reviewing prescribing so that's been, been the main change I think the acceptance and the part of the, the primary care team really being in, uh, inclusive of pharmacists as, as a, a valued member of the team. Hmm. That's fascinating. I think I've worked in both. So I've worked in community. I've never worked in hospital, but I've worked in community and in um, GP practice or primary care as well. I enjoy both for different reasons. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. It's interesting to hear that a lot of what you describe is, is very much along the lines of just, well, I say just, but um, good pharmaceutical care, isn't it? You know, and patient safety, Absolutely. cost effective and it really you've just sort of very briefly articulated a few of the the large policy documents that have come out over the years the right medicine um, prescription for excellence and more recently rosemary's achieving excellence so it's, it's it's really encouraging to hear that it sounds like there's been a lot of progress one thing i'm not being controversial here at all but this is just a feeling <laughs> i got when I, when I was in in general practice and it's not a criticism, but it's it's simply how I felt when I was there. So I think in community pharmacy, I felt like that was home. But in um, general practice, I always felt like a welcome guest. And mm -hmm. the, the, there is a difference. And do you recognise that difference, or or is that is that gap closed yeah. so much that you just don't see it anymore? I recognise the difference from my early days, yeah, definitely. And mm -hmm. and I, I, I've, I mean, myself and my colleagues have always said a big part of this job is the communication and the the, the building those relationships with your fellow healthcare professionals. And I think um, the vast majority of our practices now really don't regard us as a guest but actually regard us as an essential member of the team and that's that that has been a big change and i i definitely feel very um at home and welcomed in the practices that i work closely with and i think um i mean one of the big telling signs to me is is if a member of my team is on on holiday then the practice are going oh, what are we going to do what are we going to do without our practice pharmacists are you covering them are, are, you know they can't be on holiday and, and that's been one of the challenges of the pharmacotherapy service uh, in primary care now where we have uh, practices, uh, G GP clinical pharmacists in every practice, um, you know, they've been so well integrated into the team that we, we, we've got to kind of take account of holiday cover and, um, you know, if they are off sick, which has been one of the challenges with the COVID-19, uh, obviously pandemic, if we have any staff sickness, then we are um, going to be struggling to cover them. Um, but I mean, I, I, yes, it's, it's 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 I'm very comfortable, and I think that there is a has been a change, and I think um, the other big thing I would say is that that practices have, I think, particularly with this recent COVID nineteen pandemic, really seen the value of their good links with community pharmacists as well, and I think my my origins have always been community pharmacy, 
And I think that's where my passion for patient care comes in, because you see far more patients in the community pharmacy than you do in general practice. And I think, um, you know, the community pharmacists and, well, all branches of pharmacy have got to work together with the same, same goals. So that's, again, something that's really important to me. I do. Th I think it's pr it's probably possibly m my fault that I I I need to do a better job at sort of telling the 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 Scottish pharmacy story. But and I'm not being biased. But but I've in recent weeks and months I've sort of observed and got a bit closer to what's happening in England and and elsewhere. Mm. And we are very lucky here, really. I mean, yeah. we, we are. Pro I mean, some people say we're ten years ahead, but I think I think we're fifteen or twenty years ahead. I mean, the plan for community is is really robust. The the groundwork that's been done in the primary care scene has really been transformational. Um, I don't yeah. know. There's a long way to go, and there's holes in it, and all the rest of it. But you know, that's, well, that's I, what I, good, I, good leadership's yeah, all about. I, you have to sort of pick a course and go, don't you? I agree. I think that the conditions that we have, and that that the the um the great work that Rosemary is doing, and the Scottish government, and the, the and nurse, and all the the, the bodies to really mm -hmm. raise the profile of pharmacy within um healthcare, and actually give us the the right tools. So Community Pharmacy Scotland, all those bodies have just been so, I think, forward thinking and supportive. And I think that we are. I I would say we are the envy of our English, and perhaps Welsh colleagues as well. So, I agree. Yeah. I agree. We, we, we would say that though, wouldn't we? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm just slightly biased, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, there's a couple of other things. I'm, well, there's lots of stuff I want to ask you, but when I was working in, in general practice, we, we, we were um, quite fascinated as to what the perfect day looked like for a primary care or GP pharmacist. And the way it was locally here, and I'm, I bear in mind, I'm N equals one, you know, I'm just one person. So <laughs> maybe, the, and I was employed by the practice as well. So that that's, um, yeah. that's not, that's not universal across the piece. But the way, the way my day was set up was discharges and queries and med reviews in the morning. And then in the afternoon, um, on the day clinics, which were very enjoyable and interesting. And then I also did a bit of um, post-exacerbation respiratory stuff. Um, that's what I did, or we did. I mean, it's maybe an impossible question to answer, but what sort of stuff would constitute a good typical day? I'm, I'm really reluctant, Emily, to say the word model day because that's a good <laughs> <term. laughs> What would be your what would be your boots uh, model day in primary? Yeah, and I, I mean I think for the GP clinical pharmacists that, that uh, you know I manage, we are really mindful of the fact that we don't want them just sitting in front of a screen all day doing you know just uh, without patient contact. So um, I won't say we're we're there with every every practice, but our ideal would be that um, that, that sort of balance of working through the, like you say, the discharges, the acute requests, the medication reviews, um, looking at any, um, I mean, certainly, again, there's going to be changes with the use of e-consult in general practices and attend anywhere, but e-consult will help basically triage um, patients who want to prescribe an appointment to uh, pharmacists as well as the nurses and the GPs within the practice. So, 
there's I mean if I say one one of, in one of my practices my clinic my morning for example is set split up into appointments uh, for a specialist clinic um, usually and that could be either respiratory or pain and then I'll do some discharges and then I'll do the acute queries towards the end of the morning where I need to phone the patients because they've got uh, either special requests or problems with medication um, and and that's you know I, that's how I would see an ideal sort of session if you like in a GP practice um, but I think that the other things that could be incorporated into a, a model day going forward are things like you know, better use of technology so that we're, we're maybe you know really fully utilizing the pharmacist skills to help patients with their medication outcomes so again I've mentioned respiratory and pain but just looking at doing some sort of remote consultations regarding inhaler technique or pain uh, pain techniques and I, I think it's just trying to really vary that day but also uh, you know, interspersed into that model, there will be some educational sessions with our fellow healthcare professionals. So I do you know, edu continuing education sessions with other pharmacists, with the nurses, with the GPs. So that's it's always you know just great to have that multidisciplinary um, focus on education as well. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that Absolutely. answers your question. <laughs> it does. It's really no. It's great. It's good. It's um, it's so refreshing to like talk to someone who's really positive about pharmacy which is which is really good Emily um yeah. you manage you manage a lot you, you, well, I'm not I'm not sure I was going to uh, put my foot in it there and say uh, you manage a lot of young pharmacists but that's not necessarily true <laughs> that was a complete <laughs> assumption but I'm interested in the young the youngsters coming through or a better way of putting that is people new to the register I suppose to include everyone um what are their expectations of the profession? I get the impression they're quite high. Um, what would you say? Yeah, yeah. And I think you know they're, they're coming out of uni now with a lot more of a clinical focus, which is great, and thinking about patient outcomes. Um, and I think what, what our job is to help them to actually translate that into practice. And a lot of that is around those consultation skills, communication skills, and actually ensuring that they're able to, um, I suppose, prioritise and, and think about what the patient's needs are. Mm -hmm. Theory and that clinical knowledge into practice actually has a, a really good outcome for the patient. Um, and sometimes, you know, sort of, I think our young, uh, it's great, our young pharmacists, our pharmacists who are coming out of uni are very enthusiastic and it's really just trying to channel that and hopefully meet their expectations because it's not necessarily always seeing patients face to face all day, every day. Um, and, and that's that can be a challenge. Um, you know, there is some of the, and I think all jobs have a bit of a drudgery of, of, of you know, looking through millions of acute requests or you know as community pharmacy checking lots of prescriptions but actually that's really you know that's bread and butter that's really important as well so it's just getting that balance i think and supporting that continuing education and and obviously you know with our general practice clinical pharmacists they've got competency framework that they will be working towards uh, through NESS, our foundation pharmacists have got the foundation course that they work through with with NESS, so they're gathering all those competencies. So I think as um, 
the more senior pharmacists in their team, it's, it's helping support them to really gather that information, do the peer-based discussions and really help support translating that learning into practice. Perfect, yeah. No, I think uh, you'd probably get on quite well with my mum because she, she, when we were younger, she was always a big fan of us being bored. She's, <laughs> she would always say there's absolutely nothing wrong with being bored. It's completely normal. <laughs> you can't be yeah. excited all the time. Just calm yeah. yourself. Calm your jets, I think was her Northern Irish term. And I think yeah. <laughs> the reason I asked that question is because the the, the not, it's not a criticism of the youngsters coming through because they are very clinically focused. Their expectations are through the roof, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just it it's just a it's a journey, isn't it? And and we've it come is. an awful long way very quickly. In fact, that my next question kind of kind of covers not some of the concerns, but um, you know, you're 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 an experienced pharmacist and you're managing pharmacists um in a team so you've clearly been through that uh or those stages of competence you know i think it's the dunning kruger curve isn't it you know a post-qualification yeah. foundation you've been mm -hmm. in academia emily you've done loads in your career so you're 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 what i would sort of presumptively say a real safe pair of hands and just a a really experienced uh, prescribing pharmacist so in that context um what worries you about the current setup or what could we do better or what if we're spinning it more positively what would you like to see more of shall we say yeah i think it's probably the um i mean i'm th if i'm thinking specifically about community uh, about um general practice it's probably mm. our supervision and maybe just trying to ensure that we're not um leaving our less experienced pharmacists to, to run with things when they're not so confident perhaps so it's that sort of okay. you know, yeah. and we we are um in a situation where it just tend to be one pharmacist in a practice or one farm you know, we often we are we do have pharmacy technicians as well which are uh, and they've been um again that's been a huge development i would say over the last 16 years our pharmacy technicians we very much rely on for a lot of our support within the team so we do try and buddy up. We've tried to kind of use a bit, bit of a buddying up system so that with our less experienced pharmacists have got somebody else to sort of uh, call upon to ask if they're unsure. Um, and particularly in practices, we've tried to identify a GP that they, they would go to. So their clinical, I suppose, their, their clinical go-to GP in the practice. But I, I suppose the worry is that somebody might not feel very uh, confident when they're, they're basically let loose in a practice without the, the, the foundation of a lot of experience in either community or hospital. And I think um, maybe I think that's I think going straight to general practice from um, uni is probably not not you know, it, it is a challenge, I think. And I think that's because and I mean, a lot of pharmacy and community pharmacy are often on your own, but at least you've got your team of technicians around you. So it's it's just that's that's the worry I suppose it's that being able to supervise and and give inspire that confidence and competence when you're not always with somebody. But that's I suppose there's a lot of mess tools that you would use as the, the competency based tools and the case based discussion and peer discussion. And actually, again, using technology, we're using Teams a lot more to to check in with the whole pharmacy team a lot more often 
which you know has been has been great in our rural area. You know, it avoids the travel, it avoids mm -hmm. taking people out of practice for a long time, and I think we really that's been a great learning experience with the this the COVID nineteen situation and the reduction of face to face meetings. Absolutely, and and again, that's my that's my experience. I mean, there was that's the reason I asked that question because I think my expectations of the level of training, the depth of the training, the competence-based learning, the supervision that is required to produce a competent and, you know, valuable um, GP pharmacist is it was way above what I first expected. And actually, um, you'll see this as well. I'm sure, Emily. You know, if we sort of compare and contrast it with the GP practice training model. Mm -hmm. I my I mean this is my sort of positive challenge sort of viewpoint. I think we've got a long way to go to get the investment to really turbocharge these um the early efforts like you know around what people like you have have forged. I'm thinking of other people, you know, like Fiona Reed and yeah. these these people that really back back twenty years ago, no one no one was really uh, thinking we would get so far so fast um, yeah. and we've proved we could do it I think I suppose where I'm at is let's go for it now you know I, I'm, I'll always be an optimist in that in that regard but uh, I think I was quite surprised that really and that shows my kind of conscious incompetence as it were I was quite surprised at how much training is required and you mentioned something interesting there about um, going into general practice straight out of uni again i agree with that like i went to general practice after about eight years so you know eight years of community you've seen you've seen most of what you're going to see in community in that time really and um i find myself in the consultations really falling back on a lot of those soft consult consultation skills that i had learned over the years you know mm -hmm. um, yeah so i find what you're saying really interesting actually um <laughs> We've managed to talk for 20, 25 minutes and avoid coronavirus, which is which is quite an achievement in itself. Emily, well done. Um, but you you mentioned um, before we chatted that you were uh, during the pandemic. You've been working in the COVID hub, and that sounds quite interesting. What does that involve? Okay, so I'm um, one of the clinical assessors in the COVID hub here in Dumfries and we take calls that have been directed to us from the NHS 111 line and it's uh, effectively a, it's telephone triage to assess anyone who has COVID-like uh, symptoms of so fever, cough, breathlessness and we're really um, Trying to reassure patients, trying to ascertain whether they need to be um, admitted or assessed at the COVID assessment hub here at the hospital. Um, we're giving them self-care advice, we're giving them isolation advice. Um, a lot of it obviously is respiratory and we're looking for with underlying conditions particularly and those who've been um, shielding. So a lot of it, of it has been respiratory based advice so it fits really well with my sort of clinical practice um, mm -hmm. and 
it's been a great setup. We're, we're in a um, it's multidisciplinary. There's a senior clinical decision maker who is a, a medic, a GP generally, but we've had paramedics working in the hub. We've had uh, nurse, advanced nurse practitioners, practice nurses, and pharmacists. So it's been um, a great experience, and, and we're we're getting immediate feedback as well. We're, we're in the same room, so when you're on a call, somebody else might be just happening to listen in and giving you feedback afterwards or discussing the case and whether that's the right thing to do. So it's been a really good learning experience from a um, multidisciplinary point of view as well, which has been been great. And thankfully, we have not been as busy as expected, although that it mm. has its um, you know, surges and, and busy times. But uh, it's been very interesting and, and patients have been really uh, grateful and, and responsive to that. Brilliant. I mean, it's great, great that pharmacists are involved in that. And yeah, I suppose it's and it's also great that you've been quite quiet, but it's I suppose it's reassuring for the general public that, that these systems are now in place, I guess. Um, yeah, this is a This is a tricky sort of back to front question that I quite enjoy asking, but I think it's sort of relevant to the pandemic. Um, is there anything in your pharmacy practice that you've had to unlearn? or leave behind um, when practicing during the pandemic, Emily? Um, probably following my gut a bit more. <laughs> and, mm. and actually, you know, sometimes you can be very focused on guidelines, you can be very focused on, you know, that, that this is a, the, the right thing to do. Um, but actually there are some cases where you think, mm, there's something, not quite right here or and it's following that gut feeling which you know is not a natural thing for it probably being a little bit more risk um risk averse uh, no less risk averse i should say mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. um i think as pharmacists we're, we're highly risk averse and i think with this we need to be a little bit more kind of well you know um we can monitor patient you know uh, we can sort of call back if there's worsening symptoms because we're trying to in the vast majority of cases with COVID-19 it is self-care luckily fortunately the vast majority of people do not need to be admitted or um, brought into hospital so it's it's just been trying to manage that kind of aspect of it um, although there is still that natural worry about that breathless patient that you think mm, perhaps I should have brought them in and um, yeah. but, you know but you know that you've always safety netted and it's been been learning that sort of trying to be a, a bit more going with the flow and going the, with your gut and a bit less risk averse. That's really interesting and I know that feeling like because when you're working in as a prescriber it's a lot of what you do is am I safe to send this person away isn't it you know you're you're always yeah. it's always that little man or lady in the back of your mind thinking oh what if and I, Actually, I had an interesting conversation with a consultant pharmacist, Stephen Hughes, the other day, and he was talking a lot about what if medicine, you know, and a lot of inappropriate antibiotic prescribing yeah. is around what if. You know, no one wants to be the one that misses an infection, so we'll just oh, we'll just give them oxygen. You know, there's that sort of what if medicine. Yeah. So I thought that, that's quite interesting. Do you think, um, do you think, I know we're in a pandemic, but do you think generally, um, pharmacists should have um a greater tolerance for ambiguity you know that would that be helpful if they were a bit um sort of less risk averse uh, as you put it 
Yeah, I, I think it can be. I think it can be. I think we are constrained quite a lot by legal uh, legal constraints. Um, but I think, I mean, my view has always been that if you are doing something with the best interests of the patient at the heart of everything that you do, and you're doing this safely, then that that should be your your, your primary driver. And um, sometimes that might lead to a little bit of ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, there's a quote on your email. Um, let me just get it up. Hang on. Now, there's a quote on your email that I was quite taken with, which I wanted to ask you about before we finish. Well, I've got another question after that, but it's a quick one. Um, <laughs> and the quote is, be happy in the moment. That's enough. Each moment is all we need, not more. So, what? Tell me about that. Where Where did that come from? Or because um, it, I quite liked it. It resonated with me actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I like my I like my quotes. I do change them on a regular basis, and the, they are, they come from my uh, practice as a mindfulness teacher. So, I've been a mindfulness teacher for the last four years. Um, I teach mindfulness for chronic pain, um, and through mindfulness, I think that it's really brought my focus of attention onto that being present in the moment. And I think that's really important with this COVID-19 pandemic is just living for the moment, being happy in the moment, mm -hmm. and not worrying about and resonating about the past or the future, just really being grateful for what we've got and, and changing the sea a lot, you know, sort of looking at the more positive aspects because our our brains and our minds are very attuned to looking at the negatives so it's really trying to train ourselves to to look at the more positive aspects and I think with mindfulness as well and um, when I did the course it really struck me how uh, the, the importance of kindness of of people to one another and not making any um prejudgments really just to be kind to be happy in the moment and that's where the origin of a lot of my quotes that I put on my email come from. That's lovely yeah I'm, I'm going to refer to my mother for the second time on this uh, <laughs> podcast maybe she always used to say uh, and still does say uh, cost nothing to be civil I'm not sure if that's a Northern Irishism or what but mm -hmm. it really costs nothing to be just to be basically nice to people isn't it and be kind so yeah, yeah I like your I like your thinking there um, and everybody can apply it, you know, it's universal. Um, now, final question, and this is kind of, uh, it's become a trademark question, um, and I ask it of, of those pharmacists that have been qualified for for a few years, shall we say, um, and who are a wee bit more experienced, uh, and we'll finish with this one. So what's your advice for um, pharmacists that are uh, about to come onto the register or who have recently qualified? And mm. um, my advice would be to get a variety of experience, to really uh, embrace all the learning opportunities that you you can, whilst you can, but to enjoy the job as well. To really be positive about the impact that you can have on your patients remembering the reason why that, that you that led you to do pharmacy uh, you know that, that 
hopefully the heart of that was was improving patient care and really trying to to hold that as as your essential um reason to be when you're working but also to work hard and play hard as well <laughs> it's not all about the work absolutely not life is a balance isn't it listen it's yeah. been it's been a pleasure speaking to you emily if you don't mind me saying i think you're a brilliant role model for um <laughs> pleasure for pharmacists that that have ambition to how can I put it more simply than, than just be pharmacists, you know, um, embracing all those opportunities of academia. Um, I know you, we, we maybe didn't touch on it, but you do an awful lot of teaching. You do small group learning, practice based learning. You're, you, 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 um, you're a remote tutor for Robert Gordon. There's so much you've achieved, really. Um, I just think you're a brilliant role model. So it's been uh, very uplifting um, to speak to you. And I hope um, I hope other people enjoy the chat as much as I have. Thank you very much. That's a, been a pleasure. <laughs> Brilliant. And I'll hopefully see you soon. Let, hopefully see you soon in person for a coffee, which I'm really missing. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's nice to talk to people on the phone and on, on Zoom or what have you. But um, yeah, I miss going for a coffee. So hopefully we'll yeah. get to do that at some stage. Yes, a future future pharmacy conference of, of, of some like. <laughs>